This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Well, that was a busy few days, wasn't it? Uh, Ten games in four days? Or was it four games in ten days? (laughs) Some on the telly, some in the ground. Couple of new ones for me. New town as well. Uh, All in all, pretty enjoyable. That is, apart from the football, and we'll get on to that in a moment. Uh, Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Always appreciated and was really good to meet a few listeners, especially out in Munich and in Wolverhampton. Uh, Just want to say hi to uh, those I can remember. Hi to Max. Hi to Brad. uh, Hi to MDAD. Hi to the BK. You know who you are. Now, the preview episode went down well. Many of you contacted me about Marco, the German-England fan, and how much they enjoyed it. Uh, Also, the guide to Wolves with Mark Griffiths. Uh, I appreciate that the moment has now gone for that episode, but should you have missed it and want to tune into it, it's still available, as are all the previous ones. Just head to your podcast provider of choice. It'll be there. Now... I didn't really have the time to put an episode out for each of these respective games. So I'm going to try and cover them all in one go. Hopefully, it's not too depressing. Time to take a look at the first game to uh, reflect on it. And as always, uh, it's great to be uh, joined by fellow England supporters who who look at it from maybe a journalistic perspective. Uh, ThreeLions.net, the the author, the journalist there, is uh, is Aidan Smith. And it's a pleasure to have him back on the show. Aidan, hello. Hi, Russell. Pleasure as always. How are you? No, I'm very well. Good to have you back on. Okay, I've got a... Uh, I've got a bit of a confession to make here. We're talking Hungary. I didn't see the game. Um, this has got to be the first England game that I haven't seen in, I don't know, either in person or on the telly. Uh, my excuse is I was literally off the radar. I was camping in a uh, field in the back end of Gloucestershire before I went cheese rolling or I watched cheese rolling. Uh, <laughs> so I've only seen the highlights. Uh, there was no sort of hype for me. Um, so you, you have to fill me in. Go on, start, start at the beginning. How, how did you feel about this first game of this Nations League campaign? Well, I think um, as best as I can sum it up for you is uh, I think this game was the reason that uh, people are in a, a lamentable state of I guess disillusionment with international football mm. um, that's how I would sum it up I think they, they, they see international football as being slow idle languid and and ultimately unappealing 
Uh, and I think whilst you and I may be able to, you know, we may have the, the capacity, the, the stats, the knowledge, whatever, to be able to sit and argue with the, you know, the holders of this common view, we, we must also concede that, you know, we know exactly what they're talking about when they say that, when they, you know, when they say that, that they don't like the international game. Mm. We know exactly, we completely understand and appreciate why they've come to that unfortunate perspective. Whereas, in fact, actually what I saw against Hungary was the one of the most tactically charged matches I've ever seen, which is a, a very strange kind of paradox that we're that, that we're faced with there. Um, one of the most tactically charged games, but 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 also very unattractive on the eye. Um, and I think the reason for that was England decided after the two times that, that that we played them in the autumn last year that we would match them up with the formation. So right. we went three four three as they have been doing for quite some time now. And as you know, they've been causing many major nations a lot of problems. And what that meant was instead of uh, each player occupying a bit of space, they were actually occupying another man on the other team because it was it was man for man. And what that does is it makes it very, very hard to create chances uh, because you have to have a lot of running off the ball. You have to basically shrug off the person marking you to be able to get anywhere in the game. And that's very, very difficult. But likewise, defending, you, you have to be able to run with your man to yeah. be able to you know, stop the goal. So, so, so it's very, very taxing on the legs and on the stamina. Um, and t- to be quite honest with you, I think that's, uh, that's unfortunately why, uh, why England didn't win the game. We, we rarely looked capable of shifting the pattern of play beyond the systematic and, and, and towards the unpredictable. You know, we know that the, 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 the sort of football that Southgate likes to play, we, you know, we, we're very likely to trust what, what's gone for us before, what's worked before. And we're unlikely to, um, to go and operate beyond our breach. Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking about each individual player there. They know their role and they know what what's expected of them. And, and it's very unlikely that they'll go and do something very different to that. Um, but in the end, I think what what killed England was that the tried and tested became all that was tried and all that was tested. I, I've read various reports, and I've, as I say, I've seen the the highlights, the the very short highlights, as much as I wanted to see, and I've read various sort of reviews on social media. A lot of people are saying, and, and these are probably the ones that you you say at, at the beginning there that maybe are disillusioned with international football, etc. People saying they just didn't fancy it. It's the end of the season. Along those lines, which yes, I can see that point of view. Like we say, you try and see each other's point of view, but this is the same for everyone, isn't it? Hungarians, they they would have had a long arduous season. Likewise, Italy and Germany in our, in our own group, they would have had a, a long, hard season. Can we can we use that as an excuse? Um, short answer, no, I, I don't think we can, because like you say, it is the same for, for, for every every player. I, I don't think that it's it's healthy to get into that mindset of, of, of starting to blame external factors. I think what's what's important to note here is that these kind of fixtures, they're more structural than, than they are transitional, like the Premier League is. So you, you get far less end-to-end and far more, it's more about trying to break down each, each stage, each block of the opposition, getting further and further each time. And that takes a lot of time. So each opportunity, chance creation, 
will be you know few and far between because creating each chance takes a lot longer to do and also the other thing to note here is that it's not just the fact that you know you you can say that the players didn't want it but but what does that really mean if you're saying that the game was was quite boring and unappealing then then that's fine but 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 there is a different reason for that and what that is is instead of quality shining through in these kind of you know international football at the end of the uh, you know a long arduous season quality shining through is 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 not going to happen like it does in the, in the club games what yeah. what you've got instead is very very fine margins and what determines the final you know result and, and and who triumphs is a lot of the time down to fortune because what you've got is in fact quality is 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 almost a constant throughout the the, the two teams and that's that's what's you know acting as as the sort of cancelling out uh, factor uh, with each other and so a lot of it is down to fortune and so I, I don't think it's it's very healthy to, to to get into the mindset of oh England didn't want it because that's such an easy line. But I don't think it's really got that that much substance behind it. I don't mm. think anyone could really suggest after looking at you know videos of that training or you know in, interviews with the England players. And you know me and you have been watching England for a long, long time now, and we can think about previous teams as well, yeah. even perhaps beyond you know before our time as well. And they never looked quite as happy as this England team does when, when when they get together. And we heard Jack Grealish in March as well talking on his press conference about how much, you know, he, he was speaking to Conor Cody on the bench when, it, when he'd come off against uh, the Cote d'Ivoire. And he said how much he just absolutely loves meeting up with the England team. So I think the argument that that they don't want it is um, is a strange one to try and to try and pin on this England team. Yeah. Okay, three things that I want to try and cover. You can pick and choose how we answer them in in any way. The goal, the attendance, and I say that in inverted commas, um, and this is only England's second defeat within 90 minutes since November 2020. Do we need to be panicking ahead of Germany? No, we don't need to be panicking, I don't think. And um, I believe that, that, that the problem here is because of the distance, the, the length of time between each international break, what you find is that your memory is sort of distorted of, of, of the previous um, international break and what actually happened, the details. What you take away at the end of each game ends up becoming more general and more general over time. And when we look back on on the last calendar year, 2021, that was in pretty much every single sense the most successful calendar year in English football history for for the England team. We scored, I think it was 52 goals, and our next best is 38, which was 2019. Um, We only conceded five goals and only two in our seven games in the actual European Championships itself. And we got to a European Championship final. So I think to try and repeat that this calendar year was always going to be a hard task. And, and if I'm being completely honest, unrealistic, because yes, you've got you've got a tournament this year. You had a tournament last year. But what we also had, uh, you know, sandwiching the European Championships last year was a qualification campaign. And what we have this year is a Nations League campaign. And those two are very, very different. 
So to expect that you're going to go through a Nations League campaign without conceding goals and by creating many, many chances every single game and, you know, winning by two, three goal margins against, you know, top nations like Hungary is is unrealistic. Um, this is arguably going to be, as, as, as a set of fixtures, tougher on average than, than a, a World Cup campaign would be on average for, 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 for top nations. And so I don't think there's, there's a need to worry just yet. Let's, let's wait and see what happens against Germany. I know that Germany have been vastly improved since Hansi Flick came in. They're, they're reacting well to becoming a possession-based team. So I don't think there's there's need to worry. Um, but equally, I will say now, I, I don't expect us to be flying through top of the group by by, by a you know a respectable number of points in in this in this group of of Hungary, Germany, and Italy. Yeah. I expect that there will be tests. I expect that we will be dropping quite a few points. And I I believe that of of the four groups in League A in the Nations League. This will be the closest one by the but but by, by its uh, by its conclusion in in September. Okay, go on in. The highlights that I've seen the goal, it, the game was settled on a penalty. Reese James gave the penalty away. He got the ball, didn't he? And and it went to VAR. It the guy went down too too easily, didn't he? I think it's. Um... It's, it wouldn't be right for us to to to, to say that, that the player dived. Mm. I also don't think it's it's right to 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 call that uh, a clear cut penalty, uh, which is of course why you've brought it up. It's subjective, of yeah. course. I understand that. I think it's one of those ones that that the on field decision can go either way because Reese James has, has sort of lost his footing and bundled over the player, you know, uh, on on his way to winning the ball. So you can you can take that as you like, but unfortunately, I have to say, once it goes to VAR and the referee is told to go and uh, to go and look at the screen, you've got to admit that's only going to go one way, and the, exactly, uh, yeah, and the decision's not going to be overturned. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's another reason why I, I'm the more VAR comes on, I'm I'm not a fan, um, but we'll, we'll we'll see how things pan out in the uh, in the next few games, uh, and and that last thing. The the attendance, Hungary was supposed to be punished for their previous misdemeanours and the, the events that took place in the game at Wembley um, probably less than 12 months ago, I think it was now. There was, by all accounts, 30,000 or an attendance of 30 plus thousand, okay, predominantly children, uh, but there were adults in there as well, chaperoning, as as you would expect. But the, by all accounts, the reception the England team got wasn't positive at all. I, I mean, I don't expect a, a home nation to be welcoming to an away nation, um, but there should be some sort of respect in the fact that there are children there. That I mean, what are you for thinking? I know we've got a, a game coming up against Italy, which likewise will be behind closed doors for our the issues that we had. And I, I'm led to believe that there will be children, quite how many, I'm, I'm not so sure. But this this isn't a punishment for anyone. Well, I believe that the, the stadium ban that Hungary faced and the stadium ban that England will face against Italy are both fully deserved. 
we we don't have to go over what happened in September against Hungary when we played them away. That that was deplorable, utterly deplorable, disgraceful what yeah. happened that night. Um, and I, I've got to say what happened against Hungary this time around was really surprising. Um, I think it was I think it was a lovely notion to, uh, to to invite a lot of children along because I thought that that might shed a bit of light and uh, and a bit of perspective on how disgraceful the antics were from from some of the older fans who who attended in September. However, what we saw was much the same, and I understand that um, where UEFA were coming from in, in in inviting children along because you know what. <laughs> Who's who's going to who's going to expect that that's going to happen again mm. with uh, with with children? But um, what you've got to say is that they can only be influenced by those older than them, parents, etc., and those who have pre- previously been in attendance at the stadium. And so when they're looking up to these kind of figures, you can sort of understand why it happened. I, in no way am I defending it, or you know, in any way, of course, but. Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's 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 a real shame that we've that we've had to go through that once again uh, for our players' sake. But but that's the reason that we take the knee. That's we're, we're trying to educate. It is very hard though to to educate uh, and try and make a, a transition in the in the outlook when these outlooks have, have have turned into quite unfortunate habits over time. So no one expected that this would you know we we'd be able to change this overnight with taking the knee this is a this is a marathon but um setbacks like this were were unexpected it's 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 got to be said yeah okay right well the match has happened the result has has happened we'll uh we'll dust ourselves down i'm sure gareth will come away and with some some positives um and and we'll reflect on those as we uh as we go up against Germany, um, that will be my my next destination. Going with a, a positive mind, Aidan. Let's catch up again if it's good with you um, after the Italy game. If you're game for that, I'm absolutely game for that. I would love to. Thanks, Russell. Welcome to Germany, Nuremberg to be precise, where I've just landed all safe and sound. This has been my first flight since Kosovo away, all those years ago. Uh, I've got to be honest, I've been a little bit apprehensive about the flying side of things, as I know many have, some may not so. Um, But yeah, all good and fairly happy. So yeah, here I am, Nuremberg. I'm going to get the train into the centre where I'm going to uh, hopefully use my nine euro ticket and go onwards to Munich. Let's see. And we've arrived in Munich. Quick dump of the bags. I've grabbed my ticket, gone to the the hotel where the uh, England Sports Travel Club guys are distributing those. Good opportunity just to to say hello and sort of get any advice from them. They were giving some World Cup ticket advice and and just just saying hello. Um, So I got that. Got a copy of the Free Lions as well. 
all part of the England away experience. Good to be back on the road, this. So uh, I found myself down in Marianplatz, uh, which is, I don't know, I guess it's like your, your Trafalgar Square of London. Um, high time, I had a beer or two. Welcome to match day in Munich. It's wet, it's raining. <laughs> uh, so, so last night, uh, fair to say, I did eventually have a few beers. Good guys at Block 109 organised uh, an area at the, at the famous Augustine Beer Keller, which I've since read is the second largest beer garden in Munich. Apparently it can seat 7,000 people. Massive. Uh, it's right in the centre of the city. But, yeah, it's a great opportunity to meet fellow England fans, mix with them, meet some new faces, um, get to say hello to like, some of these people that you, you know of, but I don't know, they live the other side of the country. Um, but, yeah, you can get together and just, just have a good old chinwag over a few beers. Um, yeah, a bit of a sing-song, no trouble, all good. But as I say, I'll wake up this morning, it's raining with a little bit of a heavy head. But anyway, on to today, match day. Going to head just to the outskirts to visit a place called Manchester Platz. Uh, it's a memorial that commemorates the victims of the 1958 air crash. So, yeah, I'm going to head off there and, and have a look at it before going back into town. And I don't know, maybe even go to the Olympic Stadium later on, scene of that 5-1 victory. So a short walk from Tudoring Station is Manchester Platz. It's just on the outskirts of this part of Munich. And there is a, a small memorial in memory of those who lost their lives here in the Munich air disaster on the 6th of February, 1958. Some flags, scarves, ribbons, and there's a, uh, for, for want of like a better word, like a, almost a bus stop type thing, encased with glass with just various tributes inside. Basically, it's, yeah, we will never forget you, all the names of all the players who who passed, not just the players, the staff as well. Yeah, it's, it's one of those places that perhaps you just have to, to come and see. So rain has since passed, and I find myself here at the Olympic Stadium, home of what was Bayern Munich, and was of course the scene of England's last competitive victory over Germany. Of course it was the 5-1 victory here. And to my right is that famous old scoreboard, which just looks so dated now. I mean the whole stadium. Although it is dated and from what the 72 Olympics, it's got its iconic sails, if that's what it would be, and the massive floodlights high above. It's all very dated, but yet at the same time very iconic. There's rail seating in here, plastic seats elsewhere, and it's, 
it's a stadium that's just like a bowl. It's dug into the ground. And at the moment, there is trucks are on the pitch, forklift trucks. Uh, and they're either preparing for or they're tidying up after uh, some sort of concert here. I imagine has been here. So there's, there's lots of work going on the pitch. There's a little tiny bit of grass that you can see. It's the first time I've been able to be inside this ground. And although I'll never get anywhere like feeling what, like what it was 20 years ago. It's the, the closest I'll ever get to it. But hopefully tonight we'll, uh, we'll get a result very similar to it. As we are approach the stadium after a bit of a uh, excruciating S-Bahn, U-Bahn train journey eventually got us here. We are fast approaching the, uh, the stadium. Genuinely this feels like one of the longest walks to get access to a ground I've been to in a long time. We're pretty much walking the perimeter of the stadium along a train line to then go over go over the train line to then gain access to the stadium it's uh if I was a Bayern Munich fan and doing this week in week out I think I'd have the uh I think I'd have the right ump or I'd be getting here a little bit earlier but it's uh the walk to the ground is almost as long as the train line from the uh, central station we'll get there though I had one or two recording issues inside the ground last night, so I'm now back in the lovely city of Nuremberg. And I've got the opportunity now to tell you all about last night. The Allianz Arena is a, uh, a ground that I've never really had the, uh, the intention of going to, unless England played there. But it's a obviously a new build bowl of a ground, three tiers that sort of run rings all the way around it. It felt clean, still had that newish ground feel to it, um, despite it being, what are we, 15, 16 years old, built for the 2006 World Cup. And behind each goal, hanging from the, uh, the ceilings, are these two huge Jumbotron screens. Uh, and there's screens on both sides of it. One faces sort of outwards to the pitch and there's another screen on the reverse of it so that the uh, the supporters high up in the stands i.e us England fans we can see the other side of it um, but the, the the stadium with its sort of white bubble-like exterior it's got that sort of distinctive look hasn't it almost like a tyre and it's rolled up over the top to serve as almost like a roof and the more I looked at it the more I felt I was in like a giant inflatable in a strange way um, and as you know they 
they light it up in various different colours and and after the game, as we came away, it was sort of illuminated in rainbow colours, which was a, a nice touch. It looked good. But the away section was high up, right behind that goal that Germany scored at. Obviously full of England flags, decorating the area. It looked, looked superb. But to get to that top tier was a mammoth task. Uh, the amount of steps you had to climb to get up there, uh, real cardio workout that one not one that i'd be looking to do on a regular basis that but because of the issues getting into the ground last night i missed the first two three minutes of the game but england began like a team looking to repair the damage of the hungry defeat but it was an injury to calvin phillips that kind of rocked that momentum broke it all up and from there on we didn't look like doing anything sustainable, really. Um, Jude Bellingham came on for Calvin Phillips and it, it just sort of disrupted things. There was a disallowed goal for Germany as well, who were by then starting to take control of things. And then come the end of the first half, there was eight minutes of injury time. And uh, the fourth assistant, or whatever you call him, the guy who holds the board up, you could see it was there, and I was trying to look at it. Did it say three minutes? Did it say six? And then over the, the PA, it comes over act. And with, even with my GCSE, Pigeon German, I was pretty sure that was eight. I had to sort of go through on my fingers. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, four, six, sieben, acht. <laughs> eight minutes of injury time. It's not, uh, not one I've seen too often. But we got it in at half-time level. But to be honest, I didn't feel overly hopeful. And in that second half, the Germans up the tempo, scored with a shot that I think maybe swerved in the air, deceived Pickford a little bit. I don't know. I haven't seen the replay, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. And whilst it seemed Germany, as I say, had the sort of up the tempo, they, uh, they didn't really take the opportunity to turn the screw and yeah I they could have taken their chances and, and scored more I think but Saka to me seemed off the pace Phillips as we know as I said was withdrawn Bellingham didn't seem to impose himself as we know what he's capable of Bowen came on with provided a bit of urgency that was missing as did Grealish wasn't it uh, but we just lacked that creativity Trippier, I thought, had a good game. Kane, working hard, but for very little reward until it was that late penalty that he won. Another VAR decision. I mean, but even from where I was standing, a hundred metres or so away, it looked clear cut. But they still have to, uh, they still have to go to the VAR decision, don't they? It's like the referees are afraid to to give it a, a contentious decision like that. But it was only given. I mean, the Germans were up the other end attacking. Uh, I think the ball ran out of play and then, they, uh, then the referee ran to the monitor. Yeah, it was one of those VAR moments that just so frustrating. But anyway, Kane scored. It was his 50th England goal. Quite frankly, he got us off the hook. We'd nicked a point. Uh, and his new song rang out. Um, it was a strange one, really, as I didn't really come away with a sense of, relief as you do sort of stealing a uh, a point in that situation especially right at the death 
came away with more of a sense of we're not playing how I know that we can. And that's that killer instinct is missing and the, uh, the need to change things when we, uh, when we need to is still missing. But after the debacle of getting in, getting out was hard work too. <laughs> Finally got back to Munich Central. It must have been about 1am in the morning, but by then everything was shut. It seemed to be a lack of organisation and explanation in queuing for the U-Bahn, where I must have stood for what felt like 20 minutes, shuffled forward 10 foot, then stood still for another 20 minutes. Painful, very painful. But by all accounts, that's what happens regularly at buying games. They, uh, they just patiently wait. They must have the patience of a saint, those fans, if that's what they do week in, week out. But on to Italy, who appear 1-2-1 against Hungary. This one's going to be hard against, against them, behind closed doors at Molyneux. But if we have any intentions in this Nations League, or indeed putting a marker down for the World Cup, then we need to make sure we get a result at that game and, uh, and push ourselves forward. We'll see. So until the next time, Germany, Auf Wiedersehen. So here I am, I'm back on terra firma, back in my uh, spare room, my studio, as it were. Uh, and I'm pleased to say I'm joined once again by Aidan Smith from 3lions.net. Aidan, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Russell. How are you? Yeah, all good, thank you, all good. Uh, we spoke after that hungry defeat. Um, I've, uh, so I've just returned from Germany. Uh, I guess you watched it on the uh, on the box. What was your... Um, what was your immediate thoughts? Well, uh, much the same as the, the previous two games, I've got to say. I think there is a growing problem now that, that, that's starting to, to become quite obvious, let's say, to some people. And that is that not enough of our attackers are scoring goals. It's a really, really big problem for England. And I, uh, I mentioned this in, in my feature that I did on threelines.net after my after the game, yeah. we are very, very reliant on Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane for goals. And w- we knew that that was the case coming out of the European Championships. A lot of our creativity, had, uh, you know, had, had gone very well, but, but the final finish had been Sterling or Kane. So that was something that, that everyone was looking at as sort of in amongst the elation w- was a concern moving forward, because at that point we had fewer than 18 months before before a world cup which is which is now getting ever closer but what's what's really unfortunate is that it hasn't gotten much better at all mason mount has gone i think about 15 games without an england goal jack greenish has only got two england goals uh, sorry one england goal phil foden's got two yeah. jack greenish has only got one it's been 12 caps since foden scored and three of bakayo saka's four england goals came against san marino and andorra so that's clearly not good enough at the moment. And Gareth Southgate was talking about this in his post-match press conference after the Italy game. And, uh, and he was saying that we're trying to get them into the right areas. But what I picked up from the Italy game was that England 
used the attacking setup of more similar to Manchester City. Right. Um, and w- what we've been used to recently is attacking in the way that Liverpool do. And there's there's just a slight difference. Both teams attack with a, a sort of 2-3-5 formation when they yeah. get really high up the pitch, that, that high block right around the uh, the opposition box. And we get the five up front to try and overload the, the opposition's defence, which is fairly standard. The, the difference comes in who's in that five. So you've got your striker in the middle and the way that Liverpool do it and the way that England have, have often done this in, in recent years is you get your wingers very, very narrow and the full backs or wing backs, as they have been sometimes, get out wide and they're the ones who are supplying the ball into the box and your wingers almost become wide forwards and you've got three three there in behind to try and get the final finish. What Manchester City do and what we did last night was they get their wingers very, very wide. Their fullbacks don't quite progress up so much and they get their two central midfielders in between the lines there to try and act with, with the, the main focal point number nine, which was Tammy Abraham and, and replaced by Harry Kane in between those lines there. And the wingers become the providers as opposed to the finishers. So to try and claim that that England were in any, you know, fit set, set up to, to have Jack Grealish scoring last night or Raheem Sterling scoring, uh, or, or, you know, at least getting a few chances in on goal was a bit of a weird one. I don't understand how, how England was set up to do that. I don't think we were set up to do that in any way at all. I think the, the only players who who were in the right areas to be able to get goals last night were, were Tammy Abraham and uh, and Mason Mount and Jared Bowen when he came on. I think I, I just want to say about Jared Bowen, actually, I think it's really good um, that he's had his had his roots in, in, in non-league football. Mm. I think it makes him really pure, really raw. And I've noticed with Jared Bowen, this is, this is one thing that I've noticed while, while other players, other options that England have out wide have often tended to opt for, for a more, I digressive approach because I don't know the the, the obvious uh, you know has appeared so elementary as uh, as to be worthy of elimination from from you know that split second decision that attackers have to make. Bowen proves that that going from A to B doesn't necessarily have to involve jumping over the fence and you know running around the tree, ducking right. the hanging basket, and you know, all of that. Yeah. And so I think he's proved that there is still a place for that instinctive direct football. And we saw that last night when he came on. Unfortunately, against Hungary in his in his debut, that wasn't really a game that was made for that. But I hope I hope to see more of that if he gets more caps for, with England. Um, hopefully, he's called up in September and we get to see a bit more from of that from the bench. It's sort of what we've seen from Jack Grealish coming on from the bench in in recent times, and a lot was made of uh, of his starting position last night as well. Yeah. I mean, you you talk of like non-league routes and that just sort of very direct play. I'm I'm thinking maybe a similarity to to Jamie Vardy as well, who was who was very much non-league um, before his big chance came along. Yeah, I think I think what we've often found with these sorts of players is that they strip away the nonsense. Mm. You, they, they don't overcomplicate these these simple instinctive decisions. Well, they're not really decisions; they are they are just instinct. You know. Where you might find uh, a certain other player would tend to think that something might be, you know, easily easily found out, or oh, it can't it can't be that simple to get through there. Surely not. 
what you tend to find, and we, and we found this with Jamie Vardy when he first came onto the scene, is he, he, he just go for it. And yeah. more often than not, it would work because when players get to that level, a lot of the time they're overthinking these sorts of things. So the obvious becomes unobvious. Right. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, the the main talking points before the the uh, the kickoff was, well, other than Channel 4, harping back to the uh, the final between the two and it being a revenge game as as such i uh i tried to sort of ignore that i have to be honest this is two new teams really uh now meeting up since that game uh but there was no gareth has made the decision to remove pickford and bring in ramsdale likewise kane bring in tammy abraham who both have had exceptional seasons for for their respective clubs um, but as you say, we we need goals, um, and and you mentioned Mason Mount, um, who who's on a, a a run of no or no goals or, or lack of form. He was on that hit the bar, and and that was pretty much our only opportunity. Yeah, Mason Mount did impress last night. He was getting into nice areas, but um, it, it does almost feel as though. So we can sort of say that after after most England games, and mm. um, and it's it's what happens from there that counts. But just going back to what you were saying there about um, about Italy, I think yeah, what what's happened in in twelve months is remarkable, really. I mean, England are much the same. I mean, some of the some of the fringe players have changed. We've we've had a lot of a lot of bad form uh, in in attacking areas this season. I'm thinking of you know Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho in particular. Emil Smith Rowe's come in, Jared Bowen has come in to fill these kind of gaps. We've we've seen Conor Gallagher um, break out in that in that wonderful Crystal Palace team this season, as well as as well as Mark Gehi and, and Tyreek Mitchell as well. Yeah. But as for Italy, I mean, it's it's just been down, 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 hasn't it? Really, since that yeah. final, they failed to qualify for the World Cup, and the, the whole complexion of their team is totally different now. It's a game, I think. Maybe on paper we we should have won. I mean that that's a cliche, isn't it? That I'm I'm not proud of using, um, but uh, we didn't win it, and it currently leaves us with two points at, at the bottom of the table. I'm not panicking as yet. We've still got three games left to play, of which two are at home. Obviously, the the next game against Hungary will be at at, at Molyneux again with. A crowd. Last night, watching the game um, with the uh, with the youngsters there, there's only so much that they can provide support. Looking forward to the Hungary game at home, it really is now a game that we have to win. And I think, as supporters, now we're we're allowed in for this game. This is our chance to to get behind the team and, and push them forward and. Give us a little bit of momentum going into those final two games in the Nations League, which ultimately then will be our last games before the World Cup. These are now all very important games if you look at them from various angles. Well, momentum is just the word, isn't it, really? Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, and um, I think what's important to note here is that the, having the fans back in Molyneux is going to be a really big boost for England. And I think we might notice that quite a lot because um, we've had two very, very tough away games, very hostile environments and a home game, which really wasn't wasn't much of an advantage, to be to be quite honest, apart from obviously 
the hospitality before the game. Once they were on the pitch, it was it was no advantage really. So yeah. what they've lacked in those three games is um, is the, the the roar from the crowd when uh, when they get in the right areas or where you know a little cheeky nutmeg or or, or you yeah. know slipping through you know the midfield block and and into some nice areas or if, if you know a sliding challenge in defence. I know that Declan Rice made a fantastic one against Italy yeah. um, last night, and so. Um, that those are the sort of things that, that give you momentum from the crowd. And so it will be a really big difference. I think we'll notice that for sure. But also that it's important to note there when we were talking about the, the order, the ranking in the group at the moment. Yes, it's, it's fortunate that, that given that England are on two points uh, out of a possible nine right now, the highest in the group is on five. Uh, so, so that's fortunate. It's within our grasp. I think anyone who expected England to come into this Nations League campaign with the sole focus of of, of progressing through the group uh, by any means, that was never quite going to to play out as as those people might have expected or wanted. Hmm. We've got to strike a balance at this crucial point in the in the calendar year between yes, being competitive, trying to win football matches. We're England; that's that's our duty, but also trying to look ahead to to perhaps arguably more important matches this winter. And it's a huge winter for England with the World Cup. And so progressing the team, some of those players that are, are on the fringe, uh, are, you know, looking to get into that squad, we need to be trying those sorts of players out. So it was really, really good to see Aaron Ramsdale have a nice performance last night. Uh, I know that his debut was uh, was against San Marino. And so naturally he wasn't going to be to be tested as much as against Italy. So... Um, so it was really good that that he made two fabulous saves in that first half, yeah. uh, which set him off to a to a lovely clean sheet. That was that was nice. I think that for the most part, for Fikayo Tomori uh, and and Tammy Abraham had fairly good performances, but I think James Ward-Prowse really really put a put a put a marker down, a flag in the sand. I think James Ward-Prowse was was fantastic last night, and I was thinking before before these these block of four games, you know, you do have to as well as manage preparations, as well as trying to win, there's a third component there, is managing game time after a very he- heavy schedule. James Ward-Prowse, I-, I pinpointed as a sort of player that I would quite like to play in that midfield against Italy. And I said, that, that that's just the game for him. And I was really pleased that he did play because if I were to ask you what the main issue was in the European Championship final against Italy, you'd probably tell me that we got overrun in midfield, which is what I would tell you if you asked me the same question. Mm. Uh, and so James Ward-Prowse's presence in there was really, really crucial. And I think we did control that game from start to finish. It's just a shame that in none of the 90 minutes did we make it count up on the scoreboard. Yeah. Well, we've got another game to uh, to try and amend that. We will uh, we'll go to Wolves and it'll be the first time that I've been there. So I'm going to report back from there and hopefully uh, we can end this this window, international window, uh, with five points and, uh, and and ideally Germany and Italy scrapping a draw out between themselves. Aidan, as always, good to speak to you. Threelions.net is the place to go where you can uh, read your reports and are always a, uh, a good read. Uh, and hopefully we can uh, we can speak again in the future. I'd love to. It's been a pleasure, Russell. Thank you. Welcome to Wolverhampton and to Molyneux. Uh, big shout out to the 109 guys who I got a coach up with. So yeah, 
got us all up here safe and sound. It's a nice one. Now this will be the sixth time that England senior men have played here, using it as a, uh, a home venue. Of course, the most recent being the nil-nil against Italy on Saturday the 11th in the, uh, the Nations League campaign. But let me take you back through some previous games. Now, the first time we played here was over 100 years ago in, uh, in March 1891 when we played Ireland winning 6-1. And again in February 1903, same opposition, 4-0 win that time. Be a nice result if it was to be like that tonight against Hungary. Uh, February 1936, Wales visited. We'd lose 2-1 then. And then before the recent Italy game, the last time the men were here was December 1956, a World Cup preliminary. Uh, we saw off Denmark with a 5-2 victory. Tommy Taylor scoring a hat-trick and Duncan Edwards with two. So there's goals, generally, at Molyneux. Now, one thing, the name Molyneux has always sounded like it didn't fit into the, the English language to me. Perhaps sounding, I don't know, French, maybe? I've never looked into it until now. Here, let me educate you. Apparently, it originates from the surname of a local merchant named Benjamin Molyneux, who, uh, who owned the land that the stadium would later be built on. But Mr Molyneux, he goes back to the mid-1700s. So history lesson over. Let's go for a wander. Perhaps look for some of those orange chips that Mark Griffiths told me about on the, uh, the previous episode. So here I am, inside Molyneux. Fairly straightforward getting into. I am in the Sir Jack Hayward stand. I'm behind the goal. It's the first time I've ever been in here, and it's really impressive. So four independent stands either side. Two tiers, apart from the stand that I'm in, which is almost like a cop stand. It's rail seating, which... Which is great, it's the first time I've going to be really experiencing rail seating, so I can stand throughout the game. Eva Corner has got two Jumbotrons. Straight ahead of me is a, a large stand, like two-tiered stand with wolves within the, uh, the seating. And something I've always thought about this ground, Molyneux, either side, these side stands, they're like sort of dip back for some strange reason and then on the other side there's the the dugouts where Gareth Southgate will be sitting and that standard straight ahead of me has got the the away section in one corner looks like they'll have a decent allocation hopefully there'll be no trouble today but there's a little police presence up there it has to be said has to be pointed out
time. You've heard it, the boos ring out. England are 1-0 down. It has been a dreadful first half, in, in all honesty. Hungary's goal came after their, their player found himself in acres of space on the, the sort of the corner of the, the six-yard box. Turn, had a swipe at it. Ramsdale, I think, got a hand to it, but he was in space. No one was on him. I mean, but throughout the game, even before then, England looked like offering nothing. Going forward, there was, there was very little. John Stones, every time he got the ball, was going sideways. No one was prepared to make a, a, a forward run. Well, they credit to, to Gallagher and to Bowen. Both had half-decent halves. We're not, not creating anything. Bellingham, again, hasn't really uh, made an impact. I think, really, this second half, I'm not usually one for saying it, but what with the, uh, the group as it is, Southgate, I think, has got to go shit or bust. I'm not usually one for saying that, but we'll see. Just when things couldn't get any worse, England are currently 3-0 down. John Stones has been sent off. Second bookable offence. England fans are leaving. We've had 10 minutes to go. It is genuinely one of the worst performances I've seen. There's no direction. There's no impetus. There's no wanting the ball. There's no wanting to even... And we haven't even had a chance. I think Harry Kane has hit the bar. Phil Foden put one just wide. But it's, this has genuinely been up there with Iceland. And I don't think I've said that for quite some time. But this... We genuinely have to now, if we want to stay in this group next time... We need to go away to Italy. We need to beat Germany at home. We need to win both the games. Embarrassing. To either consider a chance of staying in this top league next time. Hungary fans in the top corner where they are, they're going mad, and rightly so. Every shot they seem to have had has, has gone in. It's been woeful, absolutely woeful. And I have to be honest, people now are going to be questioning Gareth Southgate. He's kind of stood on the sideline now. Steve Holland just standing to one side of him. They really don't know what to do. And they have got two games left to work out what to do with the World Cup coming up. I have to be honest, this doesn't look good. This is poor. This is atrocious. This is one of the worst England displays I've seen in a long time. It's been a four inept performances. A year ago, we were in the group stages of the European Championships. We were working our way towards the final. In a year, it's just gone to pot. It's not good enough.
So we made ourselves out of the ground. It's currently standing outside the uh, well, the corner of the Steve Ball stand and the the Sir Jack Hayward stand. Four nil. England have lost four nil, and I genuinely can't remember the last time England conceded four. Lost by four. I can't even remember a scoreline like that. You'd have to go back years, possibly before I was born. Dare I say it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I've, I've bumped into uh, to Gary from Channel England Football, who's been on the pod uh, a few times before. It's good to uh, to see him, Gary. <laughs> What's the reaction coming out of there? Well, it's just, like you said, it's, it's, it's the worst performance since Iceland. I mean, I can't remember the full 90 minutes of Iceland, but it's sure it can't be far off being, you know, probably worse. And it's just the performance again after four games. There's just, there's just nothing, absolutely nothing. No creativity, no, no efforts on goal till we're really pushing it. And, and the 4-0, it's, it, it's been coming and... You know, you was in there with me, Russell, and you heard it was just there's a lot of Southgate out now. It might might be a turning point for him. Uh, I think now, obviously, those those two games we've got coming up in September, it's it's pressure on, and and not only that, it becomes that that thing again where it, it's it's pressure wearing the England shirt. You know, when they're wearing it again in September, they're going to know it's going to be a difficult two games now. It's not just a seeing out this group or wherever we land. It's it's a lot of pressure now for them to turn it around because I don't know what's going to happen. To be honest with you, if, if we get thrashed in those two games, because we're essentially going into a World Cup um, on the back of just the worst set of results we've probably had in a long time. So it's just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm Southgate in, but it, you can't. Uh, but that's only because we've only got two games to go until the World Cup, if I'm honest with you. But you just can't defend it. It's just, just terrible. Terrible. It's obviously inside the ground. There were so many. The boos were ringing out, and, and at points points of time you don't know what you're doing which <laughs> justified shout to be honest and then there were pockets of people saying Southgate out it, everyone's entitled to their opinion but who do we even consider to replace him and and is he the sort of person that will walk I, I think Southgate is a is a is a manager who would walk before he's pushed. I think he knows what he will know when his time's up. But I don't think he'll walk tonight. I don't want him to walk tonight. I think he leaves us in more bother. Actually, if he does, like I said, there's only two games until the World Cup. Um, so if he, if he does leave us, then yeah, I think it'd be the wrong time. But who could replace him? Uh, the obvious one is Potter. Um, maybe Eddie Howe, but I can't see Eddie Howe leaving Newcastle. Um, so maybe maybe just Potter. Uh, but what can he do in two games? It's almost, I'm thinking now, if, uh, this is all very big ifs, but ahead of a World Cup, I think it was Roy Hodgson who came in to the 2014 World Cup on the back of literally like two or three games before that. It's And look how that ended up. It's, it's not an ideal way of going into a tournament with a change of manager. So I'm, I'm very much, yeah, let's, let's leave it as it is. <laughs> However bad it gets, I don't know, but... Yeah, um, disappointing night all round. Um, Gary, once again, thanks for joining us. As always, the uh, YouTube channel, Channel England Football, all going well. Yeah, yeah, all going well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, nice to bump into you again. Yeah, as always, we'll, we'll catch up again. Well, I said there'd be goals, didn't I? No one in their right mind thought that there would be four for Hungary and none for England. Unbelievable. I'm coming away, I'm also thinking... The uh, national anthems at the beginning, I'm wondering how much reaction 
uh, and attention that that will be given in the uh, the next few days. Obviously, I can I can totally understand why England fans reacted in the way they did to the uh, the Hungarian national anthem. My God, it went on for ages. Um, that's that's not the point. And I'd usually I'm one to maybe just give a a quick applause for a uh, an opponent's national anthem, but I, I personally I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it off for that one, but I wasn't going to be one of the ones that was booing it. Um, but I'd like to think that there'll be no. Well, I'm wondering if there will be repercussions for that. We've had it before. Uh, the disrespect of a national anthem. Just passed a couple of Hungarians actually, just on my way back. Just well done to them. Family, mum and dad, couple of kids, all well chuffed, and they've got every right to be. It's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long few days uh, for England and Gareth Southgate. The repercussions of this are going to go on a long time. I don't know what the answer is. I'm sure a lot of people will have suggestions, options, alternatives. I believe the last time we conceded four was when we lost 4-2 to Sweden. 2012, that was. It was the one with um, Ibrahimovic got all four goals there and he got that spectacular overhead kick. That was 2012 and that was the last time, I believe, that we conceded four. I mean, that was only in a friendly. There were no points at stake there. That was a... um, that was an opening of their stadium. And we scored two that night. But never have I witnessed such a performance, such a defeat, such animosity from the supporters towards the manager, towards the team. I haven't seen any of the TV reaction. I know Channel 4 have tried to get immediate reaction from all the players or from some of the players and from, from Gareth Southgate. I don't quite know what he said. I don't, know, I don't know if he's still in charge. As I'm walking back towards this coach now, I don't know. I, I don't know what he's thinking. Penny for his thoughts. Is he the man that will hold his hands up and say, no, I can't take this any further? Will he say, no, I know where it went wrong. I know what needs to change. I genuinely don't know. But this is going to rumble on for quite some time. It's probably two and three quarter months until we're in action again. There's quite some time to stew on this result for all of us. Well, there you go. Many thanks to Aidan Smith from 3lines.net and to Gary from Channel England on YouTube. Uh, I know I said about Roy Hodgson in the audio there. I said it was the World Cup when he came in. Uh, It wasn't. It was actually the 2012 Euros. Uh, He'd had two games prior to that tournament. I think I was getting my competitions muddled up. Um, Understandable, I think, really, after what happened. Uh, But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just take a look at kind of how the group lies at the moment. Let's go back right to the very beginning. Whilst we were losing to Hungary in that first game, Italy and Germany drew one apiece. So Hungary then found themselves top of the group. 
The same night that we drew with Germany, Italy, they beat Hungary 2-1, which meant Italy leapfrogged them to top. We then drew with Italy at Molyneux. However, between Hungary and Germany, two early goals separated them. It ended one apiece. Italy remained top. Then finally, (laughs) whilst we were being dismantled by Hungary, Germany were beating Italy in Mönchengladbach. They were 5-0 up at one point, and Italy grabbed two back towards the end. Apparently, that was the first time Germany had ever beaten Italy in a competitive game. Who knew? Hungary, though, end these four games top of the group with seven points, one ahead of Germany. Ten days ago, who would have thought that? Uh, But in the other League A results... Uh, A defeat for France against Croatia meant that France, as holders, they couldn't qualify for the finals anymore. Uh, After four games, they'd drawn two and lost two. Denmark topped League A1 with nine points from a possible 12. Spain topped A2 with eight points. That's a group that features neighbours Portugal. And in League A4... The Dutch, they're top of that one, ahead of Belgium. Uh, Poland are on four, and Wales with just the one point. Now, it's not just our senior men that have been in action this past international window. There's been a few underage teams playing, some of our young Lions. I thought I'd just quickly mention them, because there have been some good results in places. Uh, The under-18s. They won a four-team tournament held in Croatia. It began with a 3-2 victory over Austria. Goals from George Hall of Birmingham, Divin Mumba of West Ham and Oliver Arblaster of Sheffield United. What a surname, Arblaster. Then we beat Wales 2-0. Goals from Chelsea's Jude Sunset bell and West Ham's Sonny Perkins. And in the final game, All they had to do to win the tournament was avoid defeat against Croatia. Uh, They drew 0-0 and won 4-3 in the resulting penalty shootout. So well done to the under-18s and manager Ryan Gary. The under-21s, with Lee Carsley in charge there, they had three European qualification matches uh, over this window. The first one on the 7th of June was played at Chesterfield. England sealed qualification with a 3-0 victory over Albania. Arsenal's following Balogun scored two and Cameron Archer of Aston Villa got the other one. We then went away to Kosovo and won 5-0. Hull's Keen Lewis Potter getting a goal. Anthony Gordon of Everton. Cameron Archer got two of Aston Villa and there was an own goal thrown in for good measure. And then the last game of the campaign on the 13th of June. Maybe surprisingly, England lost 2-1 at home to Slovenia in a game that was played at Huddersfield. However, we'd already qualified. Uh, England's consolation goal scored right at the death. And it was his fourth goal in four appearances, Cameron Archer of Aston Villa. Unfortunately, though, there appeared to be a section of the crowd who were intent on bringing club rivalries to the game and booing some of the England players. Really despise it when that happens. If we're sporting England, 
We should be sporting England, not bringing club rivalry into the terraces. But well done to the under-21s. They are through to the Euros. I'm sure we'll talk about that in due course. One other thing I wanted to mention, and I'm sure many of you are already aware of this, but the World Cup obviously coming up in November in Qatar. There were three remaining places that have been awarded or earned, I guess. Uh, As England fans, I'm sure you're well aware that Wales triumphed in the first playoff, the European playoff. Ukraine originally beat Scotland at Hamden, meaning that they would face the Welsh. Unfortunately, it was a step too far for them as Wales won 1-0, meaning that they join ourselves, USA and Iran in Group B. Uh, Do feel for Ukraine. Sadly, the news coming out of there now is slowly slipping down the pecking order of when we uh, when we get on news now um, having them in the finals maybe would have kept them in the spotlight a little bit the continued awareness obviously this is sport is competitive we're not just going to hand it to them on a plate uh, and Wales deservedly went through so well done to them again they're in a, uh, a major finals and again we will face them Safe to say that is going to be a tough one. Then came the Inter-Confederation playoffs, where both of these were played in Qatar. Originally, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, faced Australia in the fourth round. Originally, this was supposed to be a two-legged affair, but then changed to a one-off match, with the winners advancing to the Inter-Confederation playoff and Peru. The Socceroos won 2-1 against the UAE, uh, and then obviously faced Peru. That was goalless, went to extra time. Still nothing could divide them. Penalties it was. In fact, just before the penalties, Australia substituted their keeper. And it worked, as they won 5-4 on spot kicks and earned their place in the finals. They will join France, Denmark and Tunisia in Group D. And the final match and position to be claimed went to Costa Rica after they beat New Zealand 1-0 thanks to a third-minute goal from Joel Campbell. That's a blast from the past. Remember him? Well, he's currently playing in Mexican football at the moment. Uh, But Costa Rica, they will join Germany, Spain and Japan in Group E. And I think... We will leave it there. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I appreciate it hasn't been the uh, the talk that we wanted to hear on this episode, but it is what it is. Um, we've got a little while before we play again, but that doesn't mean the podcasts will stop. I've got another in the World Cup series to put out very soon. Also, the women's Euros, they are fast approaching. I'll be looking at that soon. I hope you can join me for them. Please feel free to like and subscribe. The pod, you know, it's there on most of the socials. Just search Free Lions Podcast, you'll find it there. So until the next time, keep chin up, stay positive, and I'll catch up with you soon. Cheers. Cheers.